we but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found within us. If we change ourselves, the tendencies in the world will also change. This paraphrased quote from Mahatma Gandhi is the basis of the program you are about to hear. I'm Dedelian, and this is Shining Stars, a program dedicated to searching out and bringing attention to individuals and organizations that are fostering positive change within our community and within our world. Thank you for joining me here on Shining Stars. Today, I am pleased to welcome into the studio a gentleman who has created a unique resource here in Lansing. It fosters engagement, development, and opportunity within our community. He's a University of Michigan grad with a degree in statistics, and his resume includes a long list of everything from software development to food safety. Locally, he spent five years working with the Lansing Economic Development Area Partnership as a gatekeeper for the Business Acceleration Fund, an initiative that has given him a deep understanding of Lansing's entrepreneurial ecosystem. These days, you will very often find him on Eureka Street in an old repurposed church building known as the Fledge. He is the CEO and founder of the Fledge, and his name is Jerry Norris. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I am really looking forward to this. Uh, For some reason, over the years, we have run in the same circles, but really never had the chance to sit down and kind of talk. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to it, too. So you are the founder and the CEO of the Fledge. On your website's mission page, you state that the Fledge works hard to have a zero barrier to entry, which I think is awesome. Take a little bit of uh, time to explain what that means and what the role of the Fledge is here in our community. Okay. So I think, you know, we say the term radically inclusive. And before I explain what that means to me, it is very, very fundamental to what we have always dreamed of doing. Mm -hmm. And it is a basic tenant that we've, since the, uh, the first inception of the Fledge, said we must be radically inclusive because our system works because of the diversity and the large crowds that we have that collide with each other and learn things from each other. So radical inclusion to us brings a very big brain to the table. And what we mean by that is, you know things I don't know, I know things you don't know. When you and I are together, our strength is in those differences that we have. And when you start adding three people, four people, five people, Mm -hmm. that just goes up exponentially. In fact, the factorials that will happen in these complex kind of crowds and relationships. And radical inclusion to me means if my back is to the door and somebody walks in and says, can I, I say yes as I'm turning around. I haven't heard the idea. I haven't seen the person. It is yes to every single thing that is asked of us. We are known as the yes place. Very good. And you seem to have a very, what do you call them? Clientele? What do you call them? Uh, Sometimes I just call them community members. Community members. Fledglings. Seems to be very diverse uh, as far as racially goes. Is it also age-wise? Yes. So we're, like last night, for example, we had our pitch, our weekly pitch competition called 99 Problems, but a pitch ain't one, and a 30-something black male tied with a 10-year-old white male. And we had uh, about half female, half 
white versus half people of color in the competition. So, and I, I'm also proud our coding club records are the oldest person was 83, the youngest person was three. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, it's awesome that you're doing this. Is there a life motto, a philosophy, something that drives you to kind of do this kind of a thing? Yeah, I think that, well, I grew up in poverty, so I was born into poverty. Most people born into poverty stay in poverty for most of their life. And I had a series of kind of lucky events. I mean, it seems like my whole life was that privilege, the mm. the white privilege, you sure. know, where even though I was born into poverty, I had... Uh, a single mother who worked very hard for us. I had coaches. I was a wrestler. I had uh, teachers and mentors and people to look up to that kept encouraging me and teaching me and keeping me focused on the goal. And the goal was to get a wrestling scholarship and go to college and study computer science. As far as the basis of, of the Fledge, how did this kind of come about? The, give me the background. Well, I spent about 30 years traveling around the country, traveling around the world, really, uh, building software systems, working for different companies, building my own companies and selling them. And we were having a very big impact with this, this systems theory that I was developing throughout that entire time. And when I sold my last software company, I started another software company the next day mm -hmm. and getting ready to build that. And I realized, you know, Lansing, all those mentors, teachers, all of that, mm -hmm. that that's the city that raised me. We've been in persistent poverty since the day I was born, even before that. And I wanted to do something here. Mm. So I took everything I learned from all the places I was in the world. I was an auditor, an auditor for a quality management systems. <laughs> well, I was, I was reading through your resume there, and I was like, wow, this guy has done a lot of different things. It took you a while. It took so, you a while to focus in on this. I've been, uh, you know, I've, I've, for almost 20 years, I, every day was like how it's made, that show, mm -hmm. where they teach you how bread is made or teach you how, you know, wheels are made or whatever. So I got to see a lot of manufacturing. I got to see a lot of companies and businesses and how they operated. And the they always seem to force everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what the corporate world does. It forces everything. It, it creates timelines that are unreasonable, that stress people out for no reason at all. Mm -hmm. They try to control things that are not predictable, that aren't controllable. And we spend a lot of money, time, energy, and happiness you know, dealing with timelines right. and stuff like that. And I wanted to, throughout my whole career, create more autonomous systems that just kind of happened naturally. Okay. And I use a term biomimicry, where you basically ask the question, what would nature do? Mm. And I, I developed a lot of software based on that theory. I helped the Dubai municipality build their whole food safety system built on that. And it was very successful in the corporate world. And I wanted to try it in the community building world. And so mm -hmm. the Fledge really came out of, can I take these kind of global corporate concepts and apply them to a... I guess a community center, sure. that's what we've evolved into. I wanted to bring something special 
to community building. Uh, is this a concept that's unique to Lansing, or could you find this in other major U.S. cities? Well, I think we're starting to find glimpses of it, especially in the last few years. I think that, you know, what happened with COVID really made people have to step back and reevaluate a lot of things. What happened with George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, really had people take a deep look at their fragility, their privilege, their, mm -hmm. you know, how, how racist we really are. So I think the world caught up with us in a lot of ways um, over the last three years. But to, to answer your question, I guess in two kind of stories, the first story is the street nurses of, um, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm losing the, uh, Vancouver. Okay. So the Vancouver street nurses, they created a basically a mobile lab where they went out into the streets and helped people help people that had substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. And they gave them, you know, Narcan, they'd test the drugs, they'd teach them even how to shoot up better, they'd do needle exchanges. And they made a movie called Bevel Up and they premiered it their Michigan premiere was at the Fledge. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we talked about that. And one of them said, there needs to be a Fledge on every corner in every city. Mm. And to that's, me, that's that, some validation right there. Yeah, I mean, they're they're famous for the work that they've done. They, they stopped the spread of HIV. They stopped the spread of uh, hep C. They got the uh, opioid overdoses in Vancouver down to zero. And, you know, I was so in awe with them that when they said that, I mean, I still, I'm almost tearing up right mm -hmm. now. Um, I still remember that. And then another thing is we're a regenerative community. And that means we're trying, you know, what would nature do? It never sits still. It's always trying to either grow, whether that's slow or fast. It needs to replicate so that it kind of lives on. And that came from those street nurses. There's 10,000 major cities in the world. We have an effort to create 10,000 fledges. We want one in every city. There was this guy who's been studying it for the last, you know, six or seven years. He moved back to Lansing because of, you know, he needed to be by his parents. He started Googling regenerative communities and some characteristics about it, mm -hmm. thinking he might be able to find one in Switzerland and be able to fly over there. Mm -hmm. And he rode his bike up to me and said, I can't believe you're three blocks from where I live. Mm -hmm. I've been looking for these regenerative communities, and you're the only one I've found so far. And he was doing a global search. And then I go to Los Angeles, my daughter lives out there, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to f kind of scope that out and see if we could create a fledge there. And I am finding pockets of people that do something similar, but not quite there and not quite as complete as us, okay. but the pockets are definitely growing. Very cool. I, I'm not even sure I need to ask this because I feel like any job, any and anything we do in life, you need some sort of understanding that you're making a difference. Can you share a personal story? But you're, I mean, you're listing it one after the other, where I, I think you realize how much of a difference you're making. But can you give me something where maybe that first time where you went, oh, I really am making a difference? You know, I, th I think maybe the first time is when 
we were doing our coding clubs and we would have parents drop off their son and they might have the daughter with them and I'd ask would she like to stay for coding club and the mother would giggle and say oh no she doesn't write code she's a cheerleader and I would start to ask the girl then well do you want to come in and use the canvases and make some art and stuff like that and the mother would be at ease with that but once she got in there she really wanted to be in coding club right and to then see her three or four years later working in a STEM route towards what she's doing in high school, you know, that that felt really good. But you can jump all the way to kind of a different spectrum where, you know, I've administered Narcan five times now. Mm. So that's five lives that have been saved. Yeah. So that's that's very, very tangible. But having those relationships and inspiring people to do what we're trying to do, whether it's, you know, at an individual level or a, a organizational level has been very, very rewarding. And I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, that I could list. I, I would imagine there is, but it seems to me that you are much like me where you find those personal connections. Those are the times that you find that, yeah, I'm making a difference and things are going well. This is good. Yes, yeah. is good. It takes more than just Jerry Norris to make this work. You've, you've probably got coworkers, volunteers that you work with. Uh, what, what's their role in, in your world? What the model tries to do is their role is to get back on track of what they were born to be. So we kind of have this hypothesis that we're born with a passion, and it might not be a passion to be a software developer, but it's a passion to be you know, focused on math and focused on systems and stuff like that. But throughout our life, we get knocked off tilt. It could mm -hmm. be the mother saying, you know, my daughter doesn't do code. It could be, you know, a father saying, no son of mine's going to be an artist. It could be failing a biology class. Mm. It could be all these different things that knock you off tilt. And then you scramble and you have to, you know, life is starting and you're 17 years old making these huge decisions. And you know, four or five years later, you realize you're not doing what you were born to do. You'd like to get back to that, but you have credit card debt and maybe you have rent and maybe you have a job that makes you live check to check. And, or maybe even worse, you probably in Lansing, if you're a single mother, you live in poverty, 50% chance of living in poverty. So there's a lot of obstacles that keep you from recalibrating. And what, what I guess I'm trying to do is say, come in here, try to recalibrate. It's a safe place. We're going to make it as free as possible. You can still keep up with your other, those obstacles as you need to, but come and do your thing. And I sit back and I watch 500 people a week doing something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's very chaotic. And most, you know, the corporations fight against chaos. They right. want to control everything. But to me, I'm floating down a river trying Embracing to get it. to the edge yeah. and instead of swimming upstream or swimming straight over to the side, I ride it out and I look for my opportunity and I take that opportunity when it presents itself. So we take chaos and disorder and wait for the 
order to emerge, and then we harvest that order. So I don't have a plan, really, for most days. I mean, I have to have a schedule so that I can show up to to your interview. Show up to a podcast, yeah. But I don't know what my day has in store for me. Uh I know that I've got some things that I need to get done in the next few days, and I'll work towards those, Mm -hmm. but they will absolutely be disrupted today, my plan. You know, Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and that seems to happen every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love being a boxer, I guess. So I don't mind getting punched in the mouth. That's part of what keeps me moving. And one little piece of advice you had in there that I absolutely loved, uh, you, you kind of, it was kind of at the beginning there, but was the idea that very often our life does not go as planned. But there's usually something, some reason that that's happening. Um, I think that's what you were hinting towards. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, yeah. I mean, even those reasons, you know, if you go into the corporate world and you look at the problem solving models, they're going to tell you to do root cause analysis and get rid of the causes of those problems. But we live in a chaotic universe, a chaotic world, you know, where if two molecules are falling over a waterfall, um, the, they're not going to end up next to each other. Mm. So things are very sensitive to these initial conditions. So even when we do that root cause analysis, we're often wrong mm-hmm. because you would have said, why do, you know, why are we in poverty or whatever? Or why are there so many poor people? But then COVID hits and creates even more of them. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really predict that. Right. But we had to write it out. And so I think, you know, my advice there is live your life and you know, just like you should learn to learn, you should learn to be comfortable in the world where you can't predict things. Certainly. And I think that's very applicable. You know, we were started with the white male um, and realizing our privilege. I think that to decenter ourselves, especially as white males, we have to be uncomfortable. We have to mm. not be in control. We do not have to speak over people. We can listen to people. They can teach us a lot. And the more we decenter ourselves and just ride it out, the more fulfilling life seems to get. Yeah, it takes a little bit to get comfortable with that discomfort, too. I, I will add that in. Uh, you know, we, we, this has been a great conversation, and I want to keep it rolling a little bit longer, but I also want to help you kind of get the word out about the Fledge. So if somebody is a vol- wants to become a volunteer, become a part of what you're doing, what do they need to do? Well, there's uh, two main places that you can go. One is thefledge.com, and we have a get involved or volunteer uh, link there. Or we're very active on Facebook, so we put our volunteer opportunities there as well. I guess there's three things. You can also walk through the front door at any random time that you want. Add to to Jerry's chaos. And we'll figure (laughs) out something to do. But with the volunteering part, you know, that comes in two forms to us. Sometimes it's community service that somebody's ordered to do or they have to do for their honor roll or whatever. And it comes to people just wanting to get involved. And both ways, we really ask the volunteer what they want to do. It's not like, hey, this bathroom's dirty, go clean that. Certainly. It's more like, what's your passion? Do you want to volunteer in the music studios? Do you want to volunteer with the youth entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. program? Do you want to help us with our food production out in our, we call it an urban farm, but it's a community garden. I understand. I understand. As somebody that's worked with volunteers uh, for many, many years now, I 
that is definitely the best approach to what is your passion? What is it you want to do? And then help them to kind of get to that point. It's a learning opportunity for them. And at the same time, it's helpful to you. Uh, I believe that everybody needs a support staff outside of work. What's yours? Well, my family, first first and foremost, Mm -hmm. it's uh, my wife is the executive director of the Fledge Foundation, which is our nonprofit arm. And uh, my children, my my son lives here in Lansing. He has a great job, owns a house, all that stuff. My daughter's out in Los Angeles, so she gives me the excuse to be able to fly out there and visit her. Uh, I have another daughter who passed away about five years ago of a fentanyl overdose. So, you know, adding to the street nurses statement that, and the reason I tear up so much around that subject, uh, they're all, they all motivate me. They know when I'm, you know, kind of losing it. Like yesterday, my brain was just clogged with so many thoughts and I if we had this interview yesterday I'd be saying a lot of ums and huhs and uh (laughs) that's all right I I sometimes do that still to this day and I've been doing it for years and my wife recognized that and she snapped me out of it and you know it's it's that but it's also the community itself I, I can't ever escape the fledge I can't get away from it so if I'm in my neighborhood on the south side People are still asking me fledge-type questions. If I'm, you know, probably go stand out in the front of the, the college here, people would stop start talking to me. Hey, your studio's still open. You're still doing shows, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So I don't really – I gave up on trying to separate work and life mm-hmm. because I can also leave at 2 o'clock and go have a drink with somebody or Certainly. go have a coffee or whatever. So I really have integrated – my community work, what we do at the Fledge, and my life in general, all together towards one mission. So Lansing's my support system. That's great. That's great. And and as we're talking here, I'm starting to kind of get a vibe of probably your perspective on it. But I'm always curious to know how people feel about positivity. And, And obviously, you've got your down moments. You know, you're like anybody else. Do you believe that it is more of a learned trait or skill, or do you believe it's it's a natural thing for people? Well, I think it's both. I mm-hmm. think that you can have a genetic disposition to it, and you can learn it. And I also think, you know, especially those two things go together a lot of times because the the generational trauma that some of us can have, you know, especially if you're a black, brown or poor person, mm-hmm. you know, that, that trauma your mother was feeling while you were in the womb is it passes on to you and you, you have these memories and these things that stress you out. And sometimes it's hard to be positive when you see such a dark, ugly, mean world around you. But at the same time, one of the things I suffered from depression, that's a whole different story back in my 20s. And I remember, you know, some therapy, a little bit of medicine kind of got me in the right mindset. Mm -hmm. But it took one single morning, I'll never forget it, where I looked in the mirror and said, I'm going to be happy today. And I've never looked back from that single moment. And you know, being, being positive, it, it just makes things happen. And the, and there's privilege in that statement, but 
the serendipity that comes around you, what you attract. Um, you know, people will try to veer away from the guy that's screaming in the middle of the street and that negativity is on that continuum. So to me, it's, it's the way you have to believe to really get through these tough times. And I know it's a big ask, and I know that I don't understand everybody's abilities there or what they're going through. But in the midst of a, a battle, the more positive and the more focused you can be on that positivity, okay. that's okay. where you're going to go. That's a good perspective. Uh, I'm talking with Jerry Norris from The Fledge. And if you don't mind, I'd like to continue this and do a second part of the, of the show. Uh, but before we go, I want to go ahead and ask you one question. And this is the question I ask of everybody that happens to be here on Shining Stars. If you had the ability to snap your fingers and put one thought into the collective consciousness of the entire human race at the same time, what would it be? The thought that I would want in everybody's your mind is for you to imagine a world where you are surrounded by people who are healthy and prosperous and educated. They are not worried about food, safety, shelter, security. They are thinking, you know, they've got everything covered. And what, how that opens up the conversations we have. We go from complaining about our roads and our politics and our government and the weather and all of mm -hmm. that into talking about ideas and solving problems and being innovative. So when the student loans come up, and you get all mad about it, think about the people who are going to start being just surrounding you. Their basic needs are going to be able to be met yeah, in yeah. a much better way. And look at all of the social programs that we have. They, they're not effective yet, but they're designed to surround us by people who have their basic needs met. And when that happens, imagine what us as a human race are going to be able to accomplish. Remember... We can all contribute something good to this world. No matter how big or how small, a simple smile or a friendly gesture is all it takes to expand positivity one inch further. Thanks so much for listening to Shining Stars and, of course, sharing your time with me today. I'm Dedalian, and you can listen to this episode of Shining Stars On Demand along with other LCC Connect programs at lccconnect.org. 